Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Why don't you just tap three people on the shore and say, you did it. Just tell three people, you did it. Yeah, there you go. You did it. And you might be thinking, what did I do? You made it to church today. That's what you did. You made it to church. And I, and I don't take that lightly because going to church is a big deal. In fact, the whole world was against you going to church this morning. The f- your flesh was against you going to church this morning. You probably woke up this morning and your body said to you, let's go back to sleep. But you did it. You got to church today, and the devil hates that you're in church today. So I just want to say to you, good job. You did it. Way to go. Got your Bibles. Open them up to the book of 2 Kings today. And that's where the text is going to be found for our study this morning. And if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we want to uh, just catch you caught up. We're in the middle of a study we've entitled Tomorrowland. And it's the study of a man whose name is Elijah. And Elijah was used of God in the Old Testament to advance God's kingdom and to show forth his power and his will during his time. Now, God's not using prophets today like he did in the Old Testament. And God's not giving new words of prophecy to people like he did in the Old Testament. We have the completed work of God. It's called the Bible. And so when we want to know God's will, we don't need a prophet. We have the Bible. But the Bible does give us examples of how God used people in the past to advance his agenda. God's no longer working through a nation like he was the nation of Israel during the writing of 2 Kings. He is primarily working through his church. And so today, with the power of God in our lives, understanding that the Word of God, the Bible, is the context which he is using, and that the church is the primary tool that he's advancing his agenda through, we go forward understanding that God wants us to live in tomorrow. What that means is this. God wants us to live our future today. He doesn't want you to wait for uh, knowing his peace, doing his will, understanding his work. God has a plan for your life today. If you believe that, say yes. God has an agenda that he wants you to accomplish. God has his power that he wants to be manifest through your life. And it doesn't matter if you're a guest with us today, if you've been coming for 45 years, God has a plan and his power that he wants to work through your life. Today, we are going to turn, turn the chapter in our study. From the beginning of the year, we looked at a man uh, named Elijah, and he was the primary focus of our study. Today, Elijah is going to be with the Lord in our study, and we are going to see the chapter turn. But before we do, we have to think about yesterday. I don't know about you, but there are certain places or there are certain seasons, and there are certain things that as soon as I think of them, good memories come into my mind. Not too long ago, I was driving by this house. This is 4285 Clover Hill Court. Now, for some of you, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But for me, from 1982 to 2003, this is where I lived. This is where I grew up. It's at the end of Ravenwood Street. And there at that end, if you were to look at that house, 
um, there's a basketball hoop, and I would play hours and hours and hours on that basketball hoop. In fact, when I was a junior in high school, every day I would go out there and I would shoot 100 free throws. This natural athletic body did not come by accident. <laughs> there was work. There was a lot of things that were put into it. And so that basketball, that actual basketball hoop, I would shoot. I shot 100 free throws a day on that, just trying to to learn how to be a better basketball player. I could tell you about many times, friends coming over. There was a park down the street. We would play basketball, we'd play football down there. Uh, the sleepovers, the Little Caesars pizza, the pizza pizza. We would get Little Caesars pizza and we would play Tecmo Super Bowl all night long on original NES. It was in this house where we first beat Super Mario Brothers. This is the house where many of my memories were grew up. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many waffles Charity made inside of this house. That was, our, that was our morning thing. In the morning, Charity would make waffles, and I would eat them like I was Shrek. This is what we would do as we were just going. This was a place, and every time I see it, it brings back memories. It brings back fond, fond things of my childhood. This house might not mean a lot to you, but to me it means a lot. This is 109 Thunder. It was at this house where I started dating my wife, Brianna. And it's not too far from here. It's off of Rainbow near Westcliff. And at this house, we would walk the neighborhoods, Brianna and I, and we would walk hand in hand as we were dating, and she would tell me how much she loves me, and I would say, I love you so much, and I would tell her how beautiful she was, and she would smile with those beautiful blue eyes. Oh, man, just the memories walking through. I drove by this recently, and there's just a whole flood of memories that come into life as soon as I come. For you, it might not mean a lot, but for me, when I see these two places, there's just a flood of memories. You have places like that in your house, in your life as well. One of the dangers of going through a reminiscing or nostalgic time like this is that we start to live in the good old days. We start to think about what it was like back then or how much I enjoyed that. And I just got to be honest with you, I have a whole lot of good memories about 4285 Cloverhill Court, but I don't want to live there anymore. My house was the size of a, my room was the size of a shoebox, and I had to share it with my brother Josh. And if you ever had to live with my brother Josh, you know that was not a pleasant experience. But there's something inside of me that makes me think, oh, that was, oh, that was so good back then. It was so good back then. And yet God has me living today. God has me taking care of the responsibilities I have today. He has adventures for me tomorrow. He has an eternity that I am actually living for. And today, as we look at the context of 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 1, I want you to transition from living in yesterday to focusing on tomorrow land. In verse number 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. I want you to see in our notes, if you have your bulletin, you can follow along. I want you to see our first point this morning is faithful men. And verse number one is a startling verse because the Bible says in verse number one, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven. Elijah is going to go into the presence of God. He's going to leave this earth, and he is going to go into the presence of God. How many of you have somebody that you love that's already in the presence of God? How many of you know somebody who's in heaven today? Isn't that an amazing thought? That there is an actual place called heaven. 
that when this life ends, there is more to come. I'm so thankful it is. I've been at too many funerals and to think that that is it. The Bible talks about there being an afterlife. There is a real place called heaven. The Bible tells us this, that none of us are good enough to get there. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough to get there. Going to church is good, but it won't get you to heaven. Being baptized is wonderful. won't get you to heaven. Uh, Doing noble works and giving money to charity and helping old ladies cross the street, all good things. But none of those things will get us to heaven. The Bible tells us that because we have sinned, we'll never be good enough to get to heaven. Our sin had to be paid for. And so Jesus died on a cross. Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh, died on a cross to pay for our sins, was buried and rose again. And he offers salvation free of charge to anyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's simple. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Saved from going to hell. And if you're saved from going to hell, you are saved to go to heaven. The wonderful promise of scripture is that you too can have a heaven as your eternal home. The Bible tells us that Elijah is about to go to heaven. But what's fascinating about Elijah, because in his life, this only happens to two people. In verse number one, the Bible says, and it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. The whirlwind here does not mean that a natural disaster is going to come, a tornado, a hurricane is not going to come and crush Elijah, and he's going to be stuck underneath a, uh, a house from Kansas. What it does mean is that God is going to supernaturally, let me use the word rapture, or catch him up into heaven, and Elijah will never die. That's a fascinating promise. This is what the scripture teaches. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that miracle. If you have questions about it later, you're more than welcome to ask. But the Bible tells us that God is going to supernaturally take the living Elijah into heaven, into his presence. In verse number two, The Bible says, And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. If you were with us a few weeks ago, Elijah, the man of God that God is focusing his attention on during this time, was called to bring a partner with him in the ministry. Elijah, who stood boldly, he was the only one he felt that was doing anything for the work of God in his life. The Bible tells us that he stands and he stands before uh, the king and before the queen. He brings fire down from heaven and God allows him to bring a national revival into the nation of Israel through his life. But God was not done with him at that moment. God wanted him to bring other folks into ministry as well because the work of God is not just for us alone. If God's done a work in your life, he desires for you to share that with others. If you agree with that, say yes. So the Bible tells us that God brings Elijah to a place of national prominence, but not so that he can have a private helicopter and be able to be lauded upon and have free meals wherever he would go. He is brought into national prominence so that he can take that influence and invest it in others. And God brings Elisha into his stead. The Bible tells us that when Elijah and Elisha partnered together, Elisha makes a vow to him. In 1 Kings chapter 19, he says, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I am with you all the way. And on this day, Elijah's time on earth is over, and Elisha says, I'm going with you. Elijah, as a way to test him, to make sure that he's with him, says, 
don't go with me. You don't have to go with me. He says, oh, no, I'm going with you. And the Bible says in verse number three, and the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elijah and said unto him, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thee? And he said, yes, I know it. Hold your peace. Verse four, and Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets that were also at Jericho came to Elisha, and they said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head? And he says, Yes, I know. Shh, quiet, hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry there, I pray thee. What's fascinating as you read verses 1 through verse number 8, that Elisha and Elijah go partnering together to four different places. Don't get lost on this, but the Bible shows us that at least four different locations are being used to train prophets of God. When Elijah started his ministry, there was zero. In fact, Elijah thought he was the only person who was serving God. But at the end of Elijah's life, there are now four, can I use the word Bible colleges, where young men are being trained to serve and proclaim the truth of the one true God. See, There's something about Elijah, and even though he was a mighty man of valor, though he was a mighty man of God, there's a truth that cannot be lost as you study his life. Number one, life is short. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. This morning I got out of the car to come into my office, and I I had a coffee in my hand, and I took a a sip of that hot coffee. And when I took a sip, I went, and when I did that, it was so cold this morning. It was like 7.45 when I got here. When I went, all of that hot coffee and the breath went out into the cold air and it went like a cloud. And then it was gone. Life is like that. Some of you know that. Remember when you were in college? It seems like yesterday. Remember when you were in high school? Do you remember when your kids were in third grade? Seems like yesterday, doesn't it? I was looking at a picture this morning as I was preparing and getting ready of my daughters. We hadn't had Luke yet. My daughters who were nine and five and three at the time, and their hair was all big and the bows were even bigger. And I looked at that picture, and as I was looking at the picture of the nine, five, and three-year-old, it was 10 years ago. It's like that. It's like, it was 10 years ago. It's like that. All life is short. It doesn't matter if you live to be 100. Jimmy Carter, 98 years old, the oldest living president, 39th president, yesterday was put into hospice care, his family announced. We don't know how much longer he, he has to live here on this earth, and I hope only the best for him. But the longest living president, his life is short. It's but a vapor. Every one of us must be confronted with this truth that life is short. You might be 17 years old, about ready to graduate from high school. Life is short. It's short. So the Bible teaches us that we must live in submission, and Elijah and Elisha model this. Did you notice what Elisha said? 
No, man, I'm going to keep my word. I am with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, and I'm with you. And what's fascinating about Elijah is Elijah just did a pattern of doing what is right and doing what is right and doing what is right. What was the next right thing? I'll do the next right thing. What am I supposed to do today? I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do today. The Bible tells us that this is what life is all about. Life is about living in obedience to God. In 2 John 1, 6, the Bible says, and this is love. Oh, I love God. Oh, do you love God? Yeah, I love God. If you love God, say yes. yes. Well, if you love God, this is it. If you love God, this is love, that you walk after his commandments. Oh, I love God. Then live in submission to his commandments or doing what God wants you to do. Well, I love God, but, whoa, 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 that's not love. If you love God, you keep his commandments. And this is the commandment that you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. There's no new thing. The same God when you were 15 is the same God who's when you're 35 and 55 and 75 and older. God is God is God. He doesn't change. Sometimes our opinion does. Sometimes our education does. Sometimes our culture does. But God does not change. And so what does God say? God says, if you love God, walk in his commandments. Number three, look for support. There's something within man that wants to say, I did it myself. I did it myself. And there's nothing mature about it. In fact, it's very immature to try to do stuff by yourself. We don't look at a toddler who's 19, 20, 24 months old. We don't look at a toddler who you reach down and grab their hand and they say, I do myself, daddy, I do myself. You don't look at somebody who's just learning to walk and walking towards the edge of a sharp countertop and saying, no, I do myself. You don't look at that as maturity. And maturity comes whenever you start to look for support in others. Oh, it's such an important thing to remember that God's given you brothers and sisters in Christ for your benefit. And God's given you to benefit others and I do it myself, and I'm going to watch Netflix and live an isolated life behind a screen, and I don't... I'm just telling you that God's put us in a life where you need other people, and other people need you. Elisha could only do so much on his own, but as soon as he partners with Elisha, oh my goodness, the whole ministry starts to blow up, these faithful men. The Bible says... Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. That means that you need me and I need you. And so these faithful men who have been serving the Lord, who have been doing God's work, they can't do it all alone. I'll do it myself. I do it myself, Daddy. I do it myself. Oh, that's not mature. That's quite weak. And when a person says, I don't need church to love God, you're not demonstrating spiritual maturity. You're actually demonstrating the opposite. Well, I just don't think I need to go to church in order to walk with God. You demonstrate spiritual weakness rather than strength. Strength comes in community, and God's focus of his attention is through the local church at this time. You need church. You need one another. You need a small group where somebody will pray with you. You need a brother in Christ who will tell you not to be a dummy. You need a sister in Christ who will encourage you to walk in the ways of Christ. Oh, you need church. And God brought Elisha and Elijah, and their ministry blows up. 
as they work together. But as they come to this end of Elijah's ministry, the Bible says in verse number um, 8, and Elijah took and wrapped his, uh, took his mantle. His mantle would be like a shawl. That's kind of feminine. Um, let's say a poncho so that Elijah isn't being confused, all right? So let's give Elijah a mantle. Let's say it's a poncho. So Elijah takes his mantle, poncho, and as he takes it, the Bible tells us that they're about to go to the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a robust river. It's not some little stream. It's not a little brook. It's a robust river. And the Bible tells us that Elijah takes his mantle off and he strikes the river. And when he strikes the river, these are fun words. Look at the words of the Bible. The Bible says in verse number eight, and he smote the waters of the Jordan River and they were divided. Can you say the next three words together with me? Isn't that just fun to say? Hither and thither. In verse number eight, the Bible says, and he smote the waters and they, the waters, they were divided hither and thither. I just like saying hither and thither. Now, this is pretty cool. Three times up to this point in Scripture has, scripture has waters been parted. Don't look these Scriptures up right now, but you can look them up later, Exodus 14.21 and Joshua 3.16. In Exodus 14.21, Moses is standing before the Red Sea, and as he stands before the Red Sea, he says, God, we're going to die. He says, stretch forth your rod over the Red Sea. And God causes a wind to go over the Red Sea. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. If you saw the movie, say aye. Okay, good. So you saw what's going on there. He stands before the Red Sea. When he stands before the Red Sea, the Bible tells us that the Lord sends a wind. And the Red Sea parts so that one part of the water is over here and one part of the water is over there. And almost like a canyon of waves, the children of Israel walk through on dry ground. That's pretty cool. The second time where the waters are parted miraculously by the work of God is whenever Joshua is about to enter into the promised land. And as Joshua is about to enter into the promised land, they're going to cross this same Jordan River. When they cross, the Bible tells us that they're supposed to step into the Jordan River. And as soon as they step into the Jordan River, the waters won't part like that. It's not a sea. It's not a lake. It is a river. So that the Bible says, look at it, Joshua chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible tells us that the waters come almost like a wall, and they hit the wall, and they start to just climb upon each other. So a skyscraper of horizontal river is created as the children of Israel walk through. That's pretty cool. But that's not what the Bible says is happening here. The Bible says whenever Elijah walks through, he walks through on dry ground and the waters are parted hither and thither, which is different than skyscraper river, which is different than waves of canyon water. When Joshua, excuse me, when Elijah and Elisha walk through, they walk through on dry ground, but as they step, it's almost like the water around them goes away. And then they take a next step, and the water comes behind them, and it's in front of them, but they are stepping through on dry ground as they walk through the river. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Check it out later if you don't believe me. The Bible says this, and it came to pass in verse number 9, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what you want me to do for thee before I be taken from thee. And Elisha said, Pray thee 
let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. What? That's kind of arrogant. Um, I'm about to go be with the Lord. What is it that you want from me? And Elisha says, I want to do twice as much as what you've done. <laughs> who do you think you are? What do you, who, who do you think you are? You're going to do twice as much as me? I am Elijah. Uh-huh. Who do you think you are? Elisha. And what do you want? Do twice as much as you. And that's the way it's supposed to be. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much shall be required of. And Elisha says to Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. Everything that you have done, I want to do times two. What, what kind of request is that? A wonderful request. That's a wonderful request. Do you know that the people that God's given us to invest in should go farther than we do? They should accomplish more than we accomplish. We should set the people that God's given us to disciple up for greater success than ourselves and not be inhibited by the records being broken and not being um, immature about our status being violated it is a wonderful thing when those who come behind us excel us. The Bible tells us in verse number 10, and he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so. But if not, it shall not be so. If you see me when I leave, God's going to answer your request. The Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Catch this. God wants to do great things through your life. Let me say that one more time. God wants to do great things through your life. At a second, I'm going to pause and I want you to say your name out loud. I'm going to say this phrase. God wants to do things through, pause, life. I want you to put your name there. Are you ready? God wants to do great things through life. Let's do that one more time. God wants to do great things through life. Don't get lost on that. Don't think that God's just tolerating you. Oh, you're still here? Fine. Come on, we'll let you, we'll let you see what everybody else is doing. You are not a spectator in a circus. You are on the stands as a gladiator. You are in the circus as a gladiator serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if there is breath within you, that great God wants to do something mighty through your life. And sometimes that mighty thing, it might not be parting a river. Sometimes that mighty thing might just be teaching a nine-year-old how to love Jesus or correcting a young person who's making poor choices on how to navigate a TikTok you might not even know what a TikTok is, but showing them these are principles from the Scripture on how to live. Or investing in a young Christian and showing them how, how to nurture and bring admonition as a father into the life of their children. Or teaching a young mom or helping a young mom who's going through difficulties raising kids. Or, or telling somebody who's gone through a divorce that God's not finished with them. Or helping somebody who's burdened with sin 
to get victory over there. See, God can do something through your life, and he wants to do something through your life, and he desires to accomplish great things through your life. And the Bible tells us that he can do more with your life than you could even imagine possible. Now unto him that is able to exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We can ask for a lot of things. You probably have an overactive imagination, but the Bible tells us it's nothing compared to what God can do. Waters hither and thither. That's nothing to God. And if God can hither and thither water, he can do stuff through you. Don't ever get lost on that fact that God wants to work, okay? You want a double portion? Is that too much to ask? There is nothing too great for our God. So falling mantles, we see faithful men. We see number two, falling mantles. And the Bible says, I'm not going to take time to go into all of this, but I want you to see three things. And it came to pass as they went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire. That's the song Chariots of Fire from the movie Chariots of Fire. And it came to pass as they went on and talked that there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And they parted them both asunder. This chariot of fire comes in, it breaks the couple up. When it breaks them up, Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. Oh, there's the key. Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. You're not here. And there's Elijah on the back of the chariot like, See you later. Have fun with Ahab. (laughs) Jezebel's still alive. Good luck with that one. No more problems for me. I'm getting carried up in a chariot of fire. Elijah never died. That's an amazing thing. Elijah never died, and he's carried into the presence of God, and as he's carried in the presence of God, his mantle falls. His poncho, it falls to the ground, and Elisha now carries it. Elisha is given the privilege of taking the work of Elijah to the next generation, but this is what's fascinating. He's going to see miracles. In the next verse, the Bible tells us that Elisha walks back across the Jordan River and he's going to walk across on dry ground. But not only is he in his generation going to see miracles, he's going to see marvels that no one has ever seen before. No one has seen a chariot of fire before. The only person who's ever seen a chariot of fire besides Elijah, who's still alive, is Elisha. He's going to see a chariot of fire that comes down from heaven. I can't tell you, I can't even explain to you what happened when God was working in my life. But remember this, it's not about the miracles, it's not about the marvels, it's about the majesty of God. Look what the Bible says in verse number 14. He took the mantle of Elijah and it fell from there and he smites the waters. And he said, where is the God of Elijah? Don't let this fact get lost on you. There was nothing significant about the mantle. There was very little significant about Elijah. The whole power of Elijah, the whole power of Elisha, the whole power of you, the whole power of me is found in the God of Elisha. Because Moses was not amazing. 
and Elisha was not amazing, and Noah was not amazing, and Adam and Eve were not amazing. The only thing amazing about a little boy going out to fight a giant was the God of that little boy. And the only thing that brings any significance or greatness to your life or significance or greatness to my life is living in submission to the one true God who lives forever. He's the one who was put on a tree. He's the one that they killed. He's the one that they put into a grave, but he's the one who rose again. And I'm here to tell you that the same God of Elisha, the same God of Elijah, the same God of Peter, the same God of Paul is the same God of you. And that same God is calling you in your generation to take up your mantle and live for our Savior. That's what was great about Elijah. And that's what is great about Elisha. Not their talents, not their abilities. The thing that was great about them was their walk with God and surrendering to Almighty God. And that same God wants to work in Brian's life and in Todd's life and in Tony's life and Elijah's life. He wants to work in every single one of your life just like he wants to work in my God because my God's not dead. He is alive. And God has given us, there is no David today. There is no Elisha today. The world is stuck with Kyle Betrell and Jose Miano and Jose Seda. He's stuck with Charles. The world is stuck with Will. The world is stuck with Matt because the mantle has fallen to us, D. You are the mantle wearer today. Do you know Christ is your Savior? If you do, you're wearing the mantle. It was given to you. You are clothed in his righteousnesses. Wow. You don't walk around with a sin-stained garment. You've been been given garments of pure white. You walk not as a sinner, but as the Son of God. What an amazing thought. You are, you're not corruptible. You're his child, Bruce. You wear the mantle of Elisha. And it's not about your name. It's all about the name of the Lord our God. This is what's fascinating. Sometimes even in our own insecurities, or in our beliefs of the lie, we look for a number of different people to fix our situation. I want you to see the foolish multitude. In verse number four, 15, and when the sons of the prophets, these are his homeboys. These are the ones that are supposed to be with him, right? The sons of the prophets, whenever they see him, the Bible says in verse 14, which were come to view him at Jericho, they said unto Elisha, verse 15, the spirit of Elisha doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed himself before the ground. Notice the reverence. And they said unto him, Behold, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Isn't it interesting how they call themselves strong? We're so strong and good-looking. Guapissimo. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest peradventure the Spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain. Isn't that something God would do? Doesn't God just bring people up and then throw them in a mountain? That's so God. That's what God does. And he said, no, ye shall not send. No, nobody goes looks for Elijah. What I'm telling you is there is a a whirlwind. 
chariot of fire came up, captured him up, and took him up into heaven. Right, right. That's so cute. But we need to go find him and give him a proper burial. No, there's no need for a proper burial. God took him to heaven. You won't find him. We know. We know. So can we go now and look for his body? There's no body. I know there's no body. So can we go look for it? Verse number 17. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he's like embarrassed about how far they're going on. He said, send, go, 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 go. End of verse 17 says, they found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, did not I say unto you, go not? Now, this is interesting. There's a reverence without obedience. And this is where it challenges, because some of you are looking at yesterday and saying, I can't do this because I'm not that guy. I can't do this because of what my past is. I can't do this. You don't know what I've done with my sin. You don't even know what I did yesterday. My marriage is a wreck. My kids are a mess. Everything. I can't serve God because of yesterday. And remember this, God is not worried about yesterday. He, in fact, he says, being confident of this, that he which began a good work in you shall be faithful to complete it. Being confident of this very thing. God wants you to walk in the confidence of his calling, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. God doesn't want us to live and revel in yesterday. He wants us to celebrate our lives today and work forward for his glory. But there are some folks who won't do anything because they're not Elijah, and they won't do anything because they're not Elisha, and they're stuck in yesterday because they went through a divorce. They're stuck in yesterday because their finances aren't where they're supposed to be. They're stuck yesterday because of some sin or some thing that they accomplished that was evil in the past and they're not able to work through it because they're stuck in yesterday and God says there's a tomorrow land that you can work you can work through this tomorrow land these prophets they were looking at Elisha and they were giving him reverence but not obedience and a lot of folks do this with their life I know God wants to do something but not through me I'm going to just do my own thing Oh, yes, I believe. I believe. Just not me. Oh, I'm all for that. Yes, yes, yes. Just somebody else needs to do that, and they give reverence but not obedience. And so, like foolish people, we're out spending our days looking for something that never will bring satisfaction. There's a huge lesson to learn there. Number two, he gives rebuke for their obstinance. Because as the new man is moving into the position of leadership, they're not giving him the attitude that he deserves like Elijah deserves. And so the Bible says they are rebuked for their obstinance. Look at the last phrase of verse 18. Did not I say unto you, go not? Hey, guys, don't do that. If you read verse 19 through 22, if you read verse 19 through 22, Elisha performs a miracle, and in that miracle, God receives glory. He's elevated in the sight of his peers, but now there is a public that doesn't believe in Elisha. And in verse number 23 and 24, some of the most disturbing verses in the entire Bible are found. If you're there, look at what it says, and he went up from thence to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children. These little children were probably young adolescents, 13, 14 years old, And as Elisha is walking out of Bethel, he's just dealt with the problem with the sons of the prophets. Okay, he's finally got them on board. His peers accept him, but the public doesn't accept him yet. And the Bible tells us this, that as he was walking up, there came forth little children out of the city, and they mocked him. 
What did they say to him? How, how would they mock him? The Bible says, they mocked him and they said, go up, thou bald head. That's not a good thing to say. Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. Juan, that ain't cool, bro. It is not cool. <laughs> you, don't call, you don't call somebody bald. Don't make fun of their bald head, especially if he's the man of God, right, Seth? Don't make fun of the bald head. It's not cool. Get up, thou bald head. Go, hey, baldy. <laughs> What's up, chrome dome? Why don't you polish that thing? Oh, I can see myself. And, ah, <laughs> you're so bald. Don't make fun of bald people. <laughs> Verse 24. And he turned back and he looked on them and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. God's going to get you. <laughs> God's going to get you. And there came forth out of the... There came forth... Two she bears. That's my best bear impression. Two weeks in a row, I've done bear impressions. There came out two bears out of the wood, and they tear 40 and two children of them. Whoa. God's not messing around with that one. God's not messing around. I don't think that Elisha gets any satisfaction out of that. Something I'd never seen before out of this passage of Scripture is found in verse number 25. Verse 25 says this, and he went from thence to Mount Carmel. Think about the day that he's just had. The day is him seeing Elijah go up to God. He has to deal with the foolishness of the sons of the prophets. Now these kids are dead. I don't think there's anything like, ha, that'll teach them. Who's the boss now? There's nothing cool about that. And so the Bible says in verse 25, where does he go? He goes to a certain mountain. What mountain does he go to? He goes to Mount Carmel. And when he goes to Mount Carmel, I don't know what's up there. But I imagine perhaps there's the ruins of the, the Baal altar, maybe. But no doubt, I believe that there's a huge char burn where that fire was, where the fire came down from heaven. And isn't it interesting... Because Mount Carmel is completely out of the way. It's no place of where he's going to go. He had to make a deliberate stop to go to Mount Carmel. And when he does, I, I can just picture him sitting there and looking and thinking, wow, let me remember what this whole thing is about. This whole thing's not about getting respect for myself. It's not about asserting my dominance, demonstrating my ability. It's the same thing that your life and my life is about. We don't live for yesterday. In fact, our lives are to maximize today. You are to live your life to the fullest today. Can I ask you this? Are you giving 100% today? Are you taking shortcuts and trying to find easy ways out? The Bible says, whatsoever thy, ha thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. You're supposed to live your life with so much energy and so much vigor that the world looks and says, there's something different about that guy. When you go to work, you work harder than it. Well, nobody else works hard. That's because they don't know your Savior. When you're living in your marriage, you're giving everything you can in your marriage. When you're raising your kids, you're giving everything you can. It's so sad. 
It's so sad to go to a restaurant and see a couple both on their devices talking to somebody who's more important than the person right across the table from them. Maximize your today when you go to dinner. When, when you have family dinner, turn off the phones. There's no more emails. When you go on vacation, there's no more wondering if that project got done. Why? Because you maximize your vacation. But when you're at work, oh, you're maximizing your work. You're not watching Netflix while you're at work. Why? Because you're at work. You're maximizing your work. You're given 100% at work. Why? Because that's how a Christian lives. We maximize today. We give it 100%. But we invest in tomorrow. Because if you take the maximize today philosophy all out, you go open as many credit cards and line of credits as you can and like, maximize today! No, but the Christian learns to invest in tomorrow. Because there's someone coming behind you that's watching how you're supposed to live. There's an Elisha that God's given every single one of us to invest in. And it might be a young disciple for Christ. It might be a child. It might be a spouse. God's given somebody for us to invest in for tomorrow. Because life is short. We're not always going to be here. So I, I almost get the idea of Elisha sitting on the top of Mount Carmel and remembering the victories of God's yesterday, but realizing, oh, I've got to maximize today. I need to invest in tomorrow because I live for the eternal. Someday, nobody's going to care what your credit score is. Do you ever realize that? No one's, when you die, in fact, I've been to, I've done maybe a hundred plus funerals. I've never been to one funeral where they're like, He was a 783, according to Experian. <laughs> Good job, Hank. Good job. If you had paid down that one, you would have been at 800. But we applaud the noble effort. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. No, nobody cares what your frequent flyer miles. The other day, I was talking to a friend of mine. And I said, you've got like three million frequent flyer miles. He said, no, it's four. I said, what? And he showed me his account. He has four million frequent flyer miles with Delta, sitting in his bank right now. Four million. Four million. He, could, he walks into the airport at, at, in Atlanta, and the people know him. The captain's like, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? They know him. The sewers is known by name. Four million. You know, at his funeral, nobody's going to be like, unless I'm there. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if he achieved platinum status. Nobody cares how many. We live for the eternal. And so if you live for the eternal, it changes your whole perspective about everything. It changes how I live my finances. It changes how I treat my wife. It changes how I work, when I work, how I work. It changes, it changes my idea of what time off is about. Everything is affected by the eternal. And yet a lot of folks, they live in yesterday. And God challenges us that we are to maximize our days. We are to invest in tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. Tomorrow you might be in the presence of God. And tomorrow you might be at work. You don't know what tomorrow may bring, so you invest in light of tomorrow. But you remember, I live for the eternal. And that's what Tomorrowland does. 
It helps us to live the future today. Father, I pray that you would allow us to apply the principles and practices of this passage of Scripture to our life. Thank you for the model of men who adopted your values and lived in conjunction with your goals. May we advance your kingdom in our generation. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.